there's a subject that I've been meaning to talk about. Yes, we were talking about it a little before. We were, and it has to do with with gear. Mm-hmm. It has to do with uh, the amount of stuff people have or think they have or think they need sure. to, to, to make stuff. And specifically, today we're going to lean towards photography, but I think a lot of the stuff that we're going to talk about could equally apply to music, instruments, gear, sure. recording, sure. all that kind of crap. Computers too, right? Computer stuff, absolutely. Yeah. Um, and it's this this sort of belief that it's the gear that makes the art or the or the product. You know. Um, I do. Yeah. It's a tricky. It's a tricky um, thing because you know it's so funny because I I've had this conversation. I've I've chatted with people before, and you know you don't want to, especially when someone's starting out. You don't want to discourage them. You don't want to just, you know, because they see, they see professionals. They see people who are, you know, succeeding and making money and making a name for themselves yeah. using this, this stuff. You know, I mean, I mean, let's, let's relate to something when, well, for me, uh, when I was younger, I, th- I think the music thing is actually a little bit more um, of an easier analogy for yeah, me to make. Yeah, we can start there. So it's like when I was a kid and I was learning how to play the drums, you know, it's pretty, you know, it's pretty common sense what happens. So you, so you, you let's say you pick out, you, you, uh, you pick out your favorite tune, right? Or mm-hmm. your favorite, favorite group. And then you start, you know, spending some time looking into that group, looking into those artists. And it's like, yeah. okay, well, I'm a drummer. So let's say, uh, I You're like really uh, into Rush or Rush or the Beatles or Led Zeppelin or Van Halen or, yep. or, you know, any of these bands. And, and so, so you start focusing on that, that particular drummer. And then what, one of the first things that you start to look at is, oh, well, well, he sounds this way because he's playing these specific instruments from these yep. specific companies. He's so, playing you know, these Ludwig kick drums and that's why, right. he, you know, he plays Ludwig drums. sounds and, that way. Yeah, exactly. And, and you know, and, and, you know, and there's to an extent that that's, that's a really valid point because that kind of, is his sound, but yep. at the same time that it, it, you know, it could be argued that well, he'd still be a pretty kick-ass drummer regardless yep. of what drums he's playing. It, you um, know, that, that reminds me of uh, when I was at Berkeley. Uh, I was in a uh, recording seminar. The guy named Eddie Kramer. Mm-hmm. That sounds familiar. Yeah, came in. Eddie Kramer uh, recorded and mixed like um, Led Zeppelin record. Is there American Graffiti? Is that an album? Yeah. There's okay. So he recorded that record. No physical graffiti. Sorry. Physical graffiti. Right. Sorry. My bad. My bad too. I, I'm getting ripped apart by all our Led Zeppelin fan. Oh, whatever. all all of them are. I yeah. can't. I mean, Jesus. We should probably edit that out. Yeah. Anyway, uh, so he recorded the record, you know, and and people said, "Oh man, how did you get that drum sound in this song or whatever it is?" And he's yeah. just like, "Well, you know, I set up these mics this way and whatever it is." He goes, "But that's really kind of not." the point he's just like it was john bonham like john bonham sits down at you know a a muppets animal drum set and he sounds like that you know true he's like you set up one sm57 in the corner of the room and that's the drum sound you're gonna get because that's the way he played you know yep um he was a monster yeah it's true um so i mean and 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 it was funny because he would he did a seminar you know he talked whatever and then he recorded some band that they had there in the studio now this was a studio that I had engineered in a number of times and dealt with, you know, the good parts of the room and the bad parts of the room and, you know, the whole thing. Sure. And you know what? His drum sound wasn't that good. <laughs> Who? In the, you know, the, it, it, his, him setting up drums with some Berkeley drummer kid. You know what I mean? Like, oh, you're talking about this, this engineer guy. Yeah. I mean, yeah. It's, it's not like he suddenly came into this room and suddenly it sounded completely different than, you know, than I had been getting all these for a couple of years. Yeah. Um, no, it, and, and just just to speak to that, um, what what's kind of crazy to me, I, I realized that when I was first, uh, you know, like like I think what your story is, it's, it's uh, analogous to mine. And um, as I learned about how records are made and how you know how and how audio engineering works and and how things get from your you know from the the you know room to the speakers, so to speak. Yeah, there's so. So, so many things that have to happen and so many w- different ways of doing them. Yep. I mean, and there's all these different, like, circumstances, too. It's like, well, you could be really talented and really adept at, at these particular skills, but then you're working with these limited tools. Or you could have these fantastic tools but not really know how to use them. Yep. Or there could be these weird 
combinations of that, yeah. you know, where it's like this at this particular phase, we have this 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 is happening, but then when we got to this particular area, this happened, and it's just it's kind of strange how you can you can try to recreate. I mean, I was actually just thinking about this the other day. I I uh, I'm a very uh, longtime uh, fan of of Weird Al Yankovic. Sure. I don't know if we've ever talked about this. Um, I almost yeah. shot him for three sixty five. Oh, really? Yeah. What I, I, I'm friends with a guy who's good friends with him, and uh, and uh, it, it was funny because I got a hold of him, and he's like, "Oh man, like I was in New York last week, and I didn't realize it." Oh. And well, uh, it was the end of his tour, and he's like, "You could have come backstage," and I was like, "Fuck." Anyway, <laughs> next. Um, anyway. Well, anyway, so so the point is, um, as you probably know, Weird, Weird Al, uh, especially as he got, you know, more famous and more successful, was doing um, covers. Well, no, not covers. He <laughs> well, was, yeah, but he, I'm just saying the, the the recordings themselves were trying to get pretty close. Well, and I've I've listened to interviews and, and read you know articles that he's he's talked about the the more nerdy side of his of his uh, style and his his music, and uh, he he actually nowadays like because they're so close because they're so you know because it's such a uh, you know he's so he's he is who he is and he's as well connected as he is yeah when they want to do a tune and they're trying to get a sound they'll call the actual dude they'll call yeah. you know weezer and say hey dudes what 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 amp were you using what what if you know what distortion pedal were you using to get that to get that sound on that one tune yeah um but here's the thing i you know i've been listening to weird al for a really long time and and you hear the tunes that he is is you know parodying or whatever the proper term is or tributing sure. whatever you want to say and it's it's totally true i mean the the notes are there and the sounds are mostly there but it still doesn't sound i mean it's not like it's it, it's not the exact same you know no. you can and as you could tell like and and the reason why is because it's just it's different people it's well, different and, people and you know what it. even 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 if that were not the case even if you brought Weezer in again to record that song it would still sound different it would it would because all it's these different things people happen it's a different time. day it's you know you're playing differently the the temperature is different in the room you know i mean yeah to some extent you have to just sort of roll with how things are going you know i mean it's, it's true. but but i think what it is is that people who look at listen to these records or you know, or engineering themselves or, you know, to slide back to photography, see some picture and they see that Steve McCurry uses Canon, whatever it is, they think, oh, he took that picture that way because he was using a Canon camera with Kodak film. Right. And it's like, no, it, that has nothing to do with it. It's that he's a really good photographer. Right. You know? Well, but then again, it, I mean, it could be argued that it does have something to well, do with it, it because it does have something to do with it. But I think it's much, much less than the person who is thinking about gear thinks look i look i have i'm a canon shooter i have their 50 millimeter lens i have all three of them i have the one eight i have the one four and i have the one two you know why why do you have all three uh i had the one eight which actually isn't here right now uh but uh then i bought the one four which is nice but it's kind of it's a little bit slow it's not it's super fast to zoom and i wanted the one two because i wanted to shoot at one two sometimes so you mean, i bought the you mean one to two focus right not to zoom y yeah yeah i'm sorry to focus Mm -hmm. Um, and the, the one, two is actually really slower to focus cause it's moving so much glass. Yeah. But it look, a ton, look dude. They, they, they look, the pictures look a little bit different coming out of them, but there's nothing other than shooting at 1.2 that I couldn't do with the 1.4 or the 1.8, you know, that I have them because I'm crazy, but yeah. I don't need them. You know what I mean? Oh, like that. Sure. I, look, the, the other day we went and shot that I guy. Mean, I hear what you're saying. Yeah. Well, I, wait, say it again. I think I lost you. What'd you say? I I was just saying the other day we went and shot that guy, right? And I brought the one four, not the one two, just because it's a lot lighter. Sure. And the pictures are fine. They're crazy sharp. They're you know they're contrasty, whatever it is. Um. But it, it, I guess I guess my thing is that like I happen to have all the highest end lenses for Canon. I've went and bought them, mm -hmm. but and they're great, but. I did it almost so that I wouldn't make excuses for myself and say, oh, I didn't get that shot because I'm not using the whatever L glass. Right. Well, I have all the L glass, so there's no more excuse. Right. But you you're know. also fortunate enough to be in the position to do that. Yes. Um, I mean, the, now the question is, I mean, what I would, if you want to sort of put, put your money where your mouth is, yep. uh, what, what would happen if you were to pick up whatever the, 
the the kit lens version or the prosumer version. Like, let's see if you were, to, you know, give, get get the uh, the the thousand dollar Canon. What, it, what would it be? Sure. The T two I with whatever kit lens it it has. Yep. And would you be able to make the same kind of work that you? That you're I would doing? be able to make the same kind of work. The di- the differences would be in. The difference is, it depends if if I was showing them online, you would probably never know, you know, sure. uh, I, the differences come when you're printing. Look, the, the, the picture that I showed you the print of the other day from Yosemite, mm-hmm. it's 30 by 48 out of a 35 millimeter camera. There's no way, like we said, there's no way you could have done that with film. Right. True. And, and if I shot that with, you know, the, the low end rebel with a kit lens, there's no way it would look like that, but mostly just because it wouldn't be quite that sharp, you know, because the lenses wouldn't be as good. But right. I mean, that that picture's enormous. It's four feet across. No, I know, but but you know. there is still something to be said, man. I think. See, and this is this is where I, I need to spend some more time doing some trial and error. Um, and you know, and this this is coming from my recent um, introduction to the world of medium format digital. Yep. Uh, and 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 being really just sort of taken and blown away by just how damn sharp some of this stuff is. Well, you yeah, know, like but, from... but, you're, but like if you're not using it big, then that sharpness is meaningless. It's getting down res to print. Yeah. But I uh, mean, there's still something about it that I can't, I mean, I, I totally mathematically you're, you're a hundred percent correct, man, but there's just, no, let look, me put it to you this way. When you, you, you could say the same thing. Like, let's say when you're recording audio, um, and you're using the finest microphones through the finest preamps through the, you know, blah, 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 yeah, blah. Yeah, yeah. Um, you, there is, there is a difference between what that sounds like once it's crunched down to an MP3 than, 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 you know, than, than the crappy stuff the, you know, the, I mean, it's subtle and not everyone's going to hear it, but it's there. Um, I think, I think a lot of, I think a lot of that is, well, first of all, you know, even a 128 or 160 kilobit MP3 or an AAC file is giving you a lot more overall resolution of the original than an online JPEG is giving you an original of a picture. Do you think so? What about JPEG highest, man? I mean, if you use like no, no. Like what, a- I, what I'm saying is that like you're you're comparing a master recording to a, 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 a the, what you download on iTunes are much much closer than the full res photo on my hard drive versus what you see on my website. I mean, you're shrinking it down massively smaller on photography than you are in audio. Okay. You know, like, cause 'cause you're getting the same frequency range and you're getting the same length of time and you're getting the same everything. It's like data compression that they're putting in there, you know, essentially that, you know, just to squash it down. But those, those algorithms are so good. It's actually more like comparing a TIFF to a JPEG, both at full resolution. Mm. You know, that's probably the closer analog, you know, rather than shrinking it down to 800 pixels. Look, but the point is, that you, no, you're right. Yes, medium format looks beautiful. Yes, large format film looks beautiful. But that's not what makes a good picture. No, I, I'm, I'm, I'm not that, saying and that. And that's not what, and that's definitely not why certain photographers, some some guy who, you know, has a, a Rebel and a kit lens, the problem is not that he doesn't have the right lens 99% of the time. No, I, I mean, you know. and then the argument to be to make on that end is, is to know uh, the limitations of the tool. You know, yeah. I mean, we can we can even refer back to last week's discussion with uh, with Mossman about how he was talking about his twenty dollar toy guitar, and yep. he, he he figured out that oh, okay, well, when I play it down here, it, it it does this, so I need to you know I you know I need to compensate for that. I need yes. to I need to know either not to do that or if I need to do that. I need to do this in order to uh, to make it to make it work, and then. But I, but I guess the the flip side of that is that his guitar is much more like a twenty dollar Holga than it is a digital Rebel or a low end Nikon. Like the the cameras that we consider low end mm-hmm. are beyond the imagination of somebody twenty years ago. Hmm. You see I what suppose, I'm saying? I, yeah, I suppose I hear what you're saying. So so. Anything that you're using now that you're buying now is so massively better than anything that every photographer that you respect from the past hundred years ever got to use. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I hear um, so I, I guess what the problem is a few, you know, a few weeks ago, there was that photo expo, right? Yeah. And, uh, I went to a talk by a woman. Did I mention this the other couple weeks ago? You went, you went to the, the thing? 
I, I didn't go to the expo, but I went to uh, Broncolor and uh, Hasselblad had like a weird little thing somewhere over on the west side. Okay, like, like you know, a little dog and pony show. Yeah, where the you know they they people were giving little shows and you know talks and whatever and and one woman I got an email about it and I looked through them and I never go to those things but this woman was doing splash photography. Oh right, which yeah. which I find interesting just from a, ooh that looks like you know. It's the kind of thing that it, I've played with and I figured stuff out, but it's not like I know what I'm doing, you know. Sure. And I figured, hey, I'm going to go see what this woman's talking about just from a fun messing around one night when I'm bored kind of point of view, you know. Sure, like, sure. There'd have to be tricks is basically what I was thinking. Yeah. So I went there and she was shooting um, – she had these color strobes and she was shooting this um, – she had set it up so that somebody was throwing fruit into water and then she was snapping as it hit the water. Um and she was doing it all by eye, like just timing it, like one, two, three, snap, you know. Yeah. Uh, and first of all, I was amazed that that's how she was doing it. <laughs> um, but the whole thing was sponsored by Broncolor and by uh, Hasselblad. And as you know, Broncolor is pretty high-end lights, right? These are like, you know. Well, yeah, I think one of their like actual claims <clears throat> claims to fame, one of the reasons uh, certain photographers like to use their stuff is because of their insanely, well, insanely fast, yes. um, flash durations, yep. like the actual duration of the light and yep. that shit's tunable. You can actually on their higher end units, you can actually <laughs> tune how long the flash duration, like, yes. you know, from one ten thousandth of a yeah, second to one eight thousandth of a second or whatever. Yeah. And, and you can, you can control I mean the the amount of light in you know tenth of a stop intervals you know they, like I mean well, it's all yeah. digitally controlled yeah yeah um, but, but the the flash duration is actually kind of that's kind of rare you don't see too many units that, no that no have. it's it's not but here's the thing so she, she's talking about it and obviously she's like see and I have these bronze color lights set up you know yeah but as if you couldn't do this without bronze color lights of the past three years and it's like well people have been doing splash photography for like. A wow. long time now. Yeah, definitely. Like, obviously, there's nothing that these things... I mean, they may make it easier. They may be particularly good at this. But, you know, Profoto makes the D-series lights, which are yeah. all tunable like that. You know what I mean? It's the same kind of thing. But the the point is that they were saying it basically like, you can't take these pictures without bronze color. And I know it's marketing. And I know it's advertising. I know it's the whole thing. But, like, there's a lot of people sitting in that audience who believe this shit. You know, no. yeah, I and, mean, and like she, like I said on the train yesterday, she was complaining because the Hasselblad H three she was shooting with wasn't as fast as her view camera, right? You know, but, um, well, and just to speak, just to speak to that for the the people who don't know what the hell we're talking about, um, Hasselblad, um, we're talking about the H the H series. Anytime you hear an H in front of a a camera, Hasselblad camera, they're they're referring to their medium format um, autofocus digital camera. It's their sort of second generation, and the current. The current mach- the current camera is uh, is the H4, um, which doesn't I, I, as I understand it, the H1 and the H2 are pretty much the same. Like, all, fi- the, like they haven't the changed same. that much. Well, they all look exactly the same. They yeah. all, I think they all even use like they all they all take the same mount. Like there's the, mm-hmm. the H mount. They all use the same batteries and and grips and you know prisms and and focusing screens and you know accessories in general. Um, but the, the bigger difference is I think the newer cameras, the three and the four, um, they locked out, uh, phase one for exactly. one. So they only, so work with you can only backs, use right? the Hasselblad brand backs, which to some people is not a bad thing. I mean, no, from what I've seen and heard, it's a pretty fine sweet, pictures. Yes. It's a sweet back. Yeah. Um, but the one thing that's, that's a little that I personally noticed right away is like, when you pick up this camera, it, it's a plastic camera. I mean, <laughs> it, it has lots of plastic parts on it. That, you know, the, the, obviously the, the guts, the metal, there's definitely metal in there. But when the thing you're holding in your hand, it's like a plastic rubberized battery grip. And yep. then the thing that your thumb and index finger are sitting on are, are made out of plastic. And as, as you, uh, and, you know, we, we have a, a couple of workhorses at work and, and they get, they get chipped. They look, you know, they don't, they don't really age that well. You know, it's not like a nice old metal camera that was painted black and then has bronzed, you know, sure. edges as the paint wears off kind of thing. I mean, this, this stuff is, it's made out of plastic and even the actual shutter release button is made out of plastic. And when you press it, when the camera is like turned off, you just pick up the camera and you push the shutter button, you hear this like audible little, cl- you know, I would actually liken it to the home button. On an iPhone, that's kind of okay. what it feels like. I mean, and that to me, dude, that's that's just a 
that's just a button. That's not yep. a shutter. You know, that doesn't feel like a camera shutter. That doesn't feel like the shutter on a camera that I dropped two grand on just for the camera, not even the back of the lenses. You know, just yeah. I don't know. And and so it's more than that, isn't it? What's that? No, it's uh, they're actually the body. It's, it's, oh, it's just the body. Yeah, yeah the body yeah. is okay. about eighteen hundred twenty, maybe two grand. Uh, and then you know, lenses start at around twenty five hundred bucks and go up from there. And then obviously the back is like you know Tw- tens of twenty, of 20 to fifty k if you want to yeah. go cut go cuckoo. So yeah, I mean it's, it's not cheap. But anyway, the point is, it it doesn't feel it doesn't feel like like tight like you'd expect it to, and sure. I think that's what she's talking about. It's like when you push the button, you're not getting that like that that pro that instantaneous click right. that you would now. Um, in, but in I don't think you, I don't think you get that without the mechanical connection. Like I was we going to say on, on Hassel, yeah. in Hasselblad's defense, um, the other camera the the on the uh, the the old school side of the fence the v side as they say now because the the two main Hasselblad systems are h and v uh the v i believe uh is a tribute to victor uh, Hasselblad, i think the guy who actually started the system well it was the, the 50s. original 500 series so that's right the v, yeah yeah it was originally 500 but then when when the new system came out they needed a way to differentiate between the old and the new yes. so in in like the 80s or whatever in the 90s when they they invented the new one they started to, to refer to the old one as the v system so whenever you pick up a 500 or a 503 or a, in our case we have a we have the 555s which are the integrated motorized um uh cameras those things are responsive and fast and tight and they just they they feel they feel really good they feel really good man i I mean and the fact that you can just like pick up the thing no prism no no back no lens on it and still just trip the shutter and watch that mirror um flap up and down i mean i I don't know there's something really cool about it and no battery uh it does have well the 555 is is has a built-in integrated just the motor but like i mean it does use use it can't you pull it off um no you can't Oh, okay. The five 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 is like it's a motorized body, kind of like kind of like I, any of the. Yeah. I love. I have a five. I have a five hundred cm, so it's an old one. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I, you know, and I love it. And I mean, there's certainly something between mechanical and electronic. I guess my thing though is that just that they they make it seem as if even even mine. Like I use a five D Mark II, right? In my Canon. Yep. I replaced a 5D. Yes, you get more resolution, whatever it is. But they, they come out with these new cameras and they're just like, you know, there's this sort of notion that if you're using the old camera, you're not going to be able to take as good of pictures as this. You know, like there's always that kind of undertone to all the advertisements and all the stuff. And I understand they're trying to sell it, but like, I don't know. It just It just kind of bothers me. I mean, how many times I get emails and questions of like, oh, what camera did you use? What lens did you use? It's like it's not about well, the camera or the lens. And, and here's the best way to when – I, when I am confronted with, with that, which isn't often, but, but when, when I get into a conversation with someone about that, my favorite way of, of kind of bringing – Diffusing it? What's that? Diffusing it? Diffusing it and, and then basically just sort of highlighting the point of view that you and I share on this is that – is this so, so let's let's just assume let's let's get past the whole concept of you know art is subjective and what one person likes isn't necessarily what some other person is going to like let's let's sure let's let's turn to the consumer side the commercial side of art for a second and let's look at uh awards right so let's look at look at the uh the grammy awards you know mm-hmm. that it's while while some people could call that whole concept you know bullshit um it's widely you know, accepted that, you know, when, when, when someone gets a Grammy award, it's an acknowledgement that they did something that, that a lot of people like, and a lot of people think is good. Right. Yep. So what, so here's what I'm going to say. So Grammy awards have been around for what, 50, 60 years, right? They've been doing it for a really long time. And every year someone makes a, a you know, a fantastic sounding record or a fantastic yep. sounding tune. And, and guess what, dude, they're using whatever the state of the art is. And, I, and that's one of my favorite terms, man, state of the art. Um, yep. It's such a cool concept because in 1980, state of the art was barely digital. You know, yep. um, they were making that. That was when they were making those transitions. Now, now you listen to some some tracks from 1980, uh, and they might not sound that great compared to what what you can do now. But that's again, that's not. Yeah, but it's then not there's about, plenty of people who say that they sound better. <laughs> that's see what I'm saying. That, that's that's my point. And but, you can but, say the same thing about any pictures. Like look at funny. Look like, at Life t- magazine. Look at look sure. at Time magazine. Look at look at any of these publications that you know that are well, you know. Or National Geographic, even any of yeah. these, you know, world-renowned, widely accepted as as you know what's good. Um, you, you can ask the dude who who did the work that's on the cover of that what yeah. he used, and that's what he used, and that's how you made that shot. Is that shot any better or worse? No. Than, you know, twelve twelve years ago, ten years ago, yeah. 
uh, actually about 13 years ago now, mm-hmm. uh, James Taylor came out with a record called Hourglass, which mm-hmm. was a big hit. And I think it won an album of the year Grammy and the whole thing. Um, uh, there was It was engineered by a guy named Frank Filippetti, and they recorded up at James Taylor's house on Martha's Vineyard, mm-hmm. right? With a, a Yamaha O2R. Do you know what that is? A little I console? do. That was one of the old school, first gen, fully automated, like workstation right. style mixer integrated exactly. thingy. And this, this, this console was like 10 grand at the time. I mean, it's not that expensive. But oh, like, but in ni- like 1990, that was expensive, man. Yeah, well, it was expensive for your average thing, but compared to was. like a studio, it was pocket change it's true you know um so for what it could do i mean it had it had uh eqs it had compression on each channel it was like 48 internal channels and i think you could have up to 24 coming in and out of it yeah um like really good pretty good mic pre's um anyway frank Filippetti and them went up to james taylor's house to record demos for the record so they got the whole band there and basically they were just recording they were recording the whole album for the first time so that they could decide what they were going to do when they recorded it for real. Uh-huh. Because um, this is how big dogs do this kind of stuff a lot of times. It's true. Um, so they were going to do... They did these demos. So they did all this tracking and all the rest of it. And then they listened back to them, you know, after the fact back in New York. And mm-hmm. the tracks were so good that that's what they used to do the record on. <laughs> um, so this not only won best album whatever it also won best engineered non-classical which is basically like you know the best sounding record of the year that is classical music pop music um and and it was really funny because for the next year was the ads for the o2r were james (laughs) taylor hourglass recorded you know on this console which won album of the year you know um the funny thing is, is that what they don't say in it that was that it wasn't mixed on an O2R. It was <laughs> mixed on some high-end Neve console or SSL or sure, whatever the hell sure, it was. Sure, sure, You know, back at some high-end New York studio. Right. Um, but they don't really, say, you know, they don't say that obviously. And and not that it couldn't have been mixed on this thing. It's just that Frank Filippetti's a monster and you know no, he needs all that other stuff. It's true. It's true. But but it's just but it's just kind of funny how. They play it. And at the time when I was into that kind of stuff, it was like, oh man, if I had an O2R, I'd be able to do all this stuff. You right. Know? Yep. But that's really, but then you, the older you get, the more you learn that it's not about, ge- look, I have a lot of cameras. I have a lot of lights. And we were talking about this the other day on the way to that shoot. It's like, okay, we brought what? A Pro Photo Acute B with a head, mm-hmm. my camera with a couple lenses. Mm-hmm. And then I brought a speed light just in case the Pro Photo died. Right, as a spare. Yeah. But that's, we. I mean, in the grand scheme of what people bring to shoots, we brought almost nothing. It's true. Um, and, and the pictures are fine. Well, you know, you, know, you know what you did, basically? We brought what people wind up using. It, well, that's exactly it, right? Because so, what, what'll happen is I'll, I'll go to a shoot or I'll bring stuff to, I, and I'm, I'm the first person to admit, I'm, I'm, a, I'm an overpacker. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I have the stuff, and my philosophy a lot of the times is, you know what, dude? You bought it, you have it. You might as well bring it. You know, it's granted. It's my back. It's my shoulders. I'm the one who has to freaking haul it around. Sure. But there's still something. There's just there's still a small part of me that's like, you know what? I feel I feel good about having it here. Is you that know? a safety thing? Yeah, it's a, it's a comfort thing. It's just like it because and, and I think I think that I think maybe the maybe the thing is is that as one shoots more or records more or plays more golf, right? They realize the clubs that they end up using. Exactly, and, and this actually this the is a good, they don't need right. This is a good segue into that other little chat we were having, where, um, and I, I, you know, I'm I'm the first person to admit I'm far from from what you know from what I'd call a, a, an experienced professional photographer. I'm, I'm definitely on the road, and I you know I I get it, and I know I need to to put a ton of time into it, and I've you know I've gotten distracted and sidetracked here and there, um, and I I still sort of act um, in the same way as a, as an amateur would, as far as just not having the same confidence, not having the same, um, you know, just knowing knowing oneself. I mean, I could, you know, obviously I could just like say, okay, I'm just taking these two things and this one thing here and off I go. Right. But there's still just that weird part of me that, that, that this doesn't feel like I'm ready to do that yet. Like I haven't earned it yet. Like I feel like I need to, I haven't logged enough hours. I think it, it also has to do with, you know, you not just knowing what you're going to use because you've done it a bunch of times, but like having a certain amount of, confidence that you know you won't need more does that make sense or or I to- you, it totally does so so you let's, you, was, you know what you need like i right. need to light him like this and for that i need one of these lights exactly so 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 what, what we're talking about now is what i would call um packing for the gig 
mm-hmm. and and this is this is this isn't I can make an analogy here to me playing as a drummer. Um, you know, there was a point in time not too long ago, within the past maybe two years, where I started to get a lot more active as a drummer, and I started to pick up these gigs. Um, you know, just playing in a cover band on you know weekend nights uh, for a couple extra bucks here and there, and it turned. So so the first first night. Um, the first time, you know, the first gig I got with this, with this particular group, I didn't really know what I was, what I was in for. So I, I, I kind of overpacked and I brought, you know, all of these, you know, I brought basically like a little five piece drum set and a bunch of cymbals and, you know, like the stuff that I, uh, that I would consider as a comfortable drum set. Um, and it, and it, it turned out, first of all, it turned out that, that the, the place we were playing, the, the physical constraints, there were actual space space issues like i didn't have enough physical room to set all that crap up so what i wound up having to do was only setting up just a kick drum and a snare drum and and then one tom off to the side and only two cymbals as opposed to like three or or more um and then as as i kind of got to know the band and as as i got to as we started playing different venues they all seemed to basically have the same kind of like we're not really a proper music venue. We're, you know, we're a restaurant and we're going to just move this tail out of the way and you guys set up in this space. Sure. So once I sort of got that, that vibe and then I started to get comfortable playing on a smaller, more minimal kit, um, I just stopped, I, I, I sort of stopped bringing, I stopped even thinking about bringing that stuff. And then I started focusing on just making the, the, th- the few things that I was going to take with me that much more um, portable and lightweight and efficient like I, and ultimately you know, don't you find that you became a better player because of that i i couldn't say that um i, I what what might have become what might have made me a better player is the fact that i was playing a lot <laughs> not not because of the stuff that i was playing okay. um although i hear what you're saying i think you're you're hinting at at the whole less is more thing where it's like well if you you know if you only focus on these two instruments instead of these seven instruments then then you're going to get much better at those two instruments over time and that's that i can definitely agree um, but I, I, I kind of made that, that jump a while ago and I, I feel like I've already kind of reached, I'm, I'm about as good as I'm going to get at that kind of stuff. So I don't you, think I'm going to get you, that much better. You know, it's funny. My, I, I related this story to you the other day that my friend was playing recently as a bass electric bass player, well mm-hmm. upright too, but you know, he was playing to bar bass around the corner, which is this tiny place and he gigs probably five, six nights a week. So he's sure. playing a lot Yeah, and he shows up with this bass amp. That was like this tiny little thing, which I'm trying to find what the hell it was. Mm. Um, this little tiny amp, and it had like two, maybe five or six inch drivers. Mm-hmm. And it was the cutest little thing, and you know, plugged in or whatever it is. And like, that's what he used. And it it was so obvious that it it's like he doesn't need to, he just has a gig bag with his, you know, jazz bass yeah. and his Fender jazz bass and this little dinky thing. And that's what he gigs with because he doesn't need to impress anybody. He wants to sit down, plug it in, and play. Yeah, just go. You know, that it's about the playing and not about the gear. And I think, you know, I was talking to an older photographer I know who's, who's you know, been around a long time. And I was discussing this with him because we were just saying how kind of gross things like that photo expo feel. Like it may, just makes you feel like, ick, you know, icky, you know? Yeah, well. And he the, said, he said you, know a- what you, he says, you know what you have? You, you're, you're getting... A certain amount of like, well, how did he say it? Some kind of maturity, you know, to realize that that stuff doesn't matter. You know, you get to a certain point where it's just a lot of noise that happens every year. Well, it's marketing, dude. I mean, that's yep. that's what it all boils down to. It's like these companies um, survive on sales. You, you and know? you know who they survive on sales from? And it's not pros. It's no, like it's, it's the newbies. rich amateurs. Absolutely, the dentists, yeah. the midlife yep. crisis guys. Yeah, totally. Um, and it's just, it's just really, I mean, look, are, are there pieces of gear that I would like that would make my life easier? Yes. But you know what? They're the kinds of things that I know exactly why they would be better for me and what right. is deficient in what I have. Right. And it's not stuff that's really deficient. It's just me being anal. You right. know? And, and then on top of that, it gets to a point where certain stuff gets to be so impractical. It's like, well, look, dude, unless you're doing this more than 10 times a year. Yeah. It doesn't make sense to own it. Just rent it. Just rent it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the only problem I have with with renting, and I mean, I could even rent. There's plenty of photographers who don't even own cameras. Tell me about it, dude. That's that's how we Um, deal with it at work. But for me, there's a certain amount of, like, I do so much work for myself that I want my own gear, you know? Sure. Um, For a lot of people, they're they're always doing work for other people. They're never shooting just for them. 
No, it's you know. true, and and in in some ways, that's that's a goal. I mean, that's that's where yeah. people want to be, and that's that could yeah. be perceived and and uh, considered uh, what it is to be a success. It's like when when you're doing stuff that uh, that people are are commissioning you. You know, you, you know, this isn't necessarily for you. I mean, some it, I guess if in some people's um, heads, uh, I I kind of venture into this territory myself. Um, but if you, if you can kind of land it so that you're doing something that you really like to do for you that happens to also be for somebody else and get, yeah. get money for it, then you kind of win. But, but that's so, there's so many people out there who were like, that's not even, you know, they, they don't even get that, you know, that's like, that's not even on the list. It's just very, uh, yeah, it's very, it's, uh, it's odd. I think I may have found, aha, there it is. This is the Zamp he has. It's called, it's by a company, Phil Jones. Phil Jones. Yeah. Never even heard of it. I will send you a link so you can see what I'm talking about. Um, I wonder if he, if he works with Walter Woods. <laughs> well, you know what it is? It's, uh, I think it's one of those, I mean, it's like one of these real boutique-y kind of. Yeah, well, obviously, if it's Guy's name, come on. Yeah. It doesn't get yeah. much more boutique than that. Here, I, I sent you a link. Uh-huh. Um, I mean, and look, and I, I find myself getting rid of more and more gear and using less and less overall. Ah, it kind of looks like a pig nose. <laughs> yeah, it's dinky. I mean, look. I mean, it's not as small as it looks. I mean, it's 50, you know, fifteen inches high, fifteen inches deep. It almost looks like a computer. Yeah. See, look, two five-inch drivers. Yeah, that's adorable. It's tiny. Um, but Phil, you know, Phil Jones Pure Sound dot com. Yeah, dear listeners, if it's you were bri- to uh, the briefcase bass amp, I yeah, mean, it just it looks pretty badass. And you know what? It's probably. Let's see. Purchase online. Let's see how much this thing costs. I'm going to guess it's 1800 bucks. It actually doesn't. Oh, that's annoying. Local Why? distributor. Because they don't. Uh, well, fucking Google it, dude. Yeah, it's true. Um, um, anyway, I hear what you're saying. Yeah, there, there's something. Um, I, I personally, and especially, I think music has it over photography. Well, it's not and, bad. It's $700. Really? Yeah. Oh, I guess that makes sense. I mean, it can't be that that fancy um but 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 what's i think it's really cool you don't see too many like you, you don't see people making custom bodies and custom lenses yeah um i guess you, you do see like custom paper um and then custom custom like grip and support type stuff like yeah all that kind of stuff that but, kind of thing but even but, then i just feel like there's a lot of people who are doing that just for ego or trying to look cool and you know what i mean there's 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 plenty of people who get really wrapped up in that stuff, but I think that the people, the musicians that I know, yeah. and the recording engineers that I know, and the the photographers that I know that I respect, are the people that are just like, yeah, give me a camera, give me you know, give me a microphone, show me to the drum kit, and I'll play. Yeah, no you time. know, because yeah. that's what it's about. It's true. Um, uh, I got an email today from a guy who watched the making a Drabbles video. And, I still need uh, to watch that. Yeah, it actually, it, you know, it came out pretty good, and um, it's uh, it's up on Vimeo. I think if you search for "making of Drabbles" on on Google, you can find the video. I think it's one of the first things that comes up. Um, and uh, you know, it's forty five minutes long, and and you know, it's me blabbering on. But um, some guy wrote me on re- retoucherpro.com, retouchpro.com. So some there's like some weird Photoshop retouching site that's basically just a big forum. Uh-huh. Um, and they have also tutorials and stuff, but I posted it up there in the forums just saying, Hey, you guys might be interested in this. And, uh, this guy wrote me and he's like, Oh yeah. He's like, he's like, it's amazing what you're doing after only shooting for a few years. He's like, I've been shooting for 30 years. And the thing that impresses me most is your gear. And I was like, I wrote him back and I was like, I, you know, my <laughs> gear is not, I mean, I have a five D two. Yeah. What is that? A $2,000 body, but I was shooting with like a $400 lens and a couple of speed lights. Yeah. You know, it's not like I was shooting with real exotic stuff. Yeah, but to some people that is exotic, dude. Oh, some I know, I know. Can't spend like couldn't couldn't even dream yes, of spending of three thousand dollars on a camera. Rig, right, you know? I know, I know. This guy, this guy had a seven D and the whole thing. But I, my point was that I said to him, I was like, he had a seven D and uh, he has a five eighty EX. Dude, that's what stroke. that's what I don't get, dude. Why? I mean, the seven D is what eighteen hundred bucks. Yeah, why not go and get what a full frame? Camera? I mean, why would you not get the five D? Actually, Mark II? I think it's a lot less than that. I think it's like twelve hundred bucks. No way. I think it's Let's more see. than that, dude. I'm pretty sure. I, I remember seeing the price when it came out and being really surprised that it was that it was as expensive as it was. I want to say uh, it's at least fifteen hundred bucks. Thirteen forty-seven for the body, fifteen hundred with oh, the lens. So it's fifteen with the lens. So I guess that's that's yeah. enough of a jump. But still, man, it's like 
yeah. If you're going to be spending that much, man, get get the real. Get yeah, the, the five D two is twenty two fifty, so it's almost a thousand dollars more. Yeah, like, just for the body. Um, so. but the, but look, no, you're right. But uh, but I said to him, I was like, you know, there's nothing that I did that you couldn't do with what you've got, you know. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of it. I mean, a lot of it goes back to people feeling like they need somebody to give them permission to try different stuff. And I was like, the trick to lighting is getting the camera, the, the flash off the camera, you know, yeah, that's it. Move it around, get it off to the side, try it. And I said, and the more that I do of this stuff, the more I find that less is more, you know, that I, I want to do, I want to make it look, I want to make it look like you don't even notice the extra lights. Yeah. You should just, you, know? you want to like, like we were talking about, uh, in film, when you're when you're watching a movie, I mean, I, I it's so funny now. I, I've been, um, I guess, once a week or so, once every couple of weeks, um, I'll hear somebody talking about a movie that I either haven't seen or haven't seen in a really long time. Yeah. Um, and every once in a while, that'll be a movie that was made uh, before, we'll say, 19, 1985. Yep. And there's just something weird about how... Uh, certain films, like stuff, I guess they didn't have the money or they didn't have the top talented people. And just the quality that goes into sound mixing um, from Foley art to, you know, to just, just the general mix, yeah. it, it's really noticeable, man. I mean, you can, you can, you can really tell the difference between a, like, I'll, I'll use the, the classic uh, example of like Star Wars, man. Star Wars was so well mixed that, you you didn't you don't even you, it didn't even occur to you to think of it you know yeah. or, but then you look at another film from like the seventies, um, uh, help me out here with a good example here oh I'll, you know any well I was watching the French Connection you know with okay. uh, sure with with Gene Gene Hackman and you listen to some of these I'm mean, just you're watching this film and then they're like in a New York subway station and there's tons of sounds that you know are supposed to be there but you can tell they're like only working with like five four or five tracks of sure. of, of, of different sounds and it's like dude that doesn't even that doesn't even yeah. sound close to real, you know. But it's but it's funny because the, I mean, well, first of all, the average person probably wouldn't have known because they don't live in New York. But the the flip side of that is that Star Wars changed the industry because of those things. You know? It's true. No, it's true. Star Wars is probably not the um, best example. But the, my point my point is nowadays, um, even crappy TV shows get that get that stuff right. Yeah. Um, just because. But of the tools at the, and the but at the same time, I mean, better. as far as say visual look of movies, there were movies filmed on 70 millimeter film back in the forties and fifties right? that look better than anything filmed in the seventies other than, you know, apocalypse now, or you know what I'm saying? Like yeah. th- that just because same thing with recording studios. I mean, I have a friend who mixes a bunch of stuff. He's like, you know, Grammy award winning guy out in LA. And he's like this hotshot guy with platinum records on his wall. And I remember back in school, he had a couple of, um, you know on a console how there's like talkback mics? Yeah. Okay. So even the talkback mic has <laughs> a little mic pre in it, right? Right. He had two old 1970s Neve talkback pre's <laughs> in a road case that he would use to do vocals or drums or like really hardcore stuff because those mic pre's, even though they were the crappy ones in this old Neve console, sounded better than anything else we had. <laughs> That's funny, man. I think you know. that 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 the, I remember reading or hearing a story some somewhere about. I don't, I'm sure you know this one about the the quote unquote um, Phil Collins drum sound. You, you yeah. know about this one, right? Oh, what specifically about it? About how it the origin of that drum sound was the talkback mic. Oh yeah, yeah. That yeah. like what happened was um, because uh, and let's let's we'll let the listeners in on this for those who aren't as familiar. Uh, in, in a recording studio, uh, there are basically two, two halves, uh, you know, there's obviously the, the half of the studio where the engineer is sitting with the big mixing board and the speakers and what have you. And then there's obviously the glass, you know, the glass window so that he can see into the live room, which is where the actual performance occurs. And those two rooms are essentially isolated from one another. So you can't really hear what's going on in either room from either room. So the only way to do that, so let's say I'm a performer and I'm in the recording room, I'm in the, in the live room and I want to hear, you know, 
the 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 uh, the, the re- re- engineer to say, hey, how did that sound? What's going on? I don't have to get up and go out of the room and then walk into the other room to to, to, to have a face to face conversation with him. I can see him through the glass. So he has a little, just a little shitty microphone sitting there on his mixer, uh, so that he can push essentially like a walkie talkie. He pushes a button on his mixer, and then you can hear him talk. And then a lot of times, especially like when you're recording drums. Uh, sometimes the way the microphones are set up, you can't even hear what the drummer's saying because there's the, you know, the microphones are so close to the drums that, you know, the per- the drummer talking, just sitting at the drum set normally, he he's not really being picked up by the drum mic. So sometimes right. the studio actually has its own talkback mic. So the story I was yep. going to, I was referring Usually to in the ceiling. Yeah, exactly. They're hanging above. Um, and so in order to, to f- filter out you know the noise they have what's called a a gate which is essentially a uh sort of like a threshold uh so that it doesn't allow any sound in until it gets to a certain level cell phones use this all the time um i'm sure if you've ever had a cell phone conversation um they they help control the noise so if it's, if you're if you're trying to talk to someone on the and they're you know, stuck with a subway or an ambulance passing by, it'll kill it because it's too loud. Uh, or if someone is just listening to you quietly and they're in a quiet room, you, you don't hear a thing from their side because, you know, the gate is closed. They haven't said anything to, to open it. So anyway, um, in, the, uh, in, in the, the story about Phil Collins' drum sound, apparently he was just monkeying around on the drums while they were working on setting up the mics. And they, there was a mistake or some sort of inadvertent routing issue where they routed they wound up routing the talkback mic from the studio to the tape deck so yeah. so that that stuff actually made it onto tape and when they were playing it back um th- it actually had this really kind of funky gated sound to it which you know would never be considered useful in a musical context but i guess they were looking for something cool. new and and they basically took that sound and ran with it and i i don't know if they actually ultimately used that or or no, they, just they, that was they fake it with a gate yeah they probably used you know better mics and better gates and stuff like yeah. that but that actually was what, what you ended up doing to fake it was actually you you gate reverb sends oh there you go <laughs> yeah that makes sense. So, so anyway, but it's just kind of cool how that that little happy accident wound up yeah. being uh, the you know the source of this. Now, uh, in some circles, anyway, it's you know legendary or very famous yeah. uh, sound. I mean, it's sort of but like, yeah. okay. But let's let's back up for a minute. And and yeah, it's true. Okay, yeah, you. But Bill, you say you don't need all this gear, but you know you couldn't make this sound without the reverb and the gate and whatever. Yes, it's true. But you know what? Guys were sitting around a single microphone recording hit record. You know, the Beatles stuff, the early Beatles stuff yeah. was like three microphones. Four tracks, dude. Not yeah. even. And they had to do and, them like one at a time. Yeah. And, you know, and, and so the idea that, that, that you need all this stuff to make something good or even that things should be perfect. You know, I remember um, there was a, a, a guy, one of my professors at Berkeley was good friends with the guy who wrote... Um, uh, I can't make you love me if you don't. You know that Bonnie Raitt song, big hit. No, no. It was a huge, huge hit back in the whatever. You know, like, I mean, monster hit uh-huh. for Bonnie Raitt, her biggest hit. Okay. And, um, you know, he he had the original demo, just the guy sitting at a piano singing the song. Uh huh. And then he played us the one off the record, and he's like, "What do you guys prefer?" And a lot, most of us preferred the original of him sitting at a piano, um, to the Bonnie Raitt version. And and, and somebody said, you know. That the Bonnie Raitt version sounded like, uh, you know, that all of the life had been edited out of it. Yeah. You know, because there were no mistakes. And if you listen to old records, Beatles records or Elvis records or whatever it is, there's mistakes in them. You know what totally. I mean? They're not perfect. No, of course. But, and, but, the, but it's funny because you, you start to enjoy those mistakes as you listen to them. You know, they're the things you look for and, and whatnot. Yeah. And, and they're the things you appreciate. I mean, it's, it's like when, when you listen, when I listen to... Old Michael Jackson and Stevie Wonder and Earth, Wind & Fire and Tower yeah. of Power and, you know, stuff like that from the 70s and the right. 80s before drum replacement and looping became the, the standard. You have a whole new level of respect for some of these players, man. It's like that, that dude played that track. He played yeah. that whole part straight through. Well, maybe not yeah. straight through. Maybe there was a punch here or there. But yeah. it wasn't like it is now where, where no. people are literally slicing up every and single it's, note. It's funny because this engineer guy, now this big Grammy Award engineer guy, said, uh, he's like, you know, my engineering got infinitely better as I recorded better musicians. Yeah, that's how it works, yeah. man. He said, you know, I used to, I, he's, he's like, I was working with, who's there's some guy... It's not Stanley Clark, but some other like badass studio bassist guy, like black guy from the seventies or whatever, you know, like hardcore. Marcus Miller or something. Yeah. One of those kinds of guys. Uh-huh. 
And uh, he said, you know, I was I was doing a session with him, and I, you know, I the bass was coming in on a channel, and I I, I sent it over to some, you know. Yuri compressor, some like high end, you know, compressor to like compress it. And he's like, and he's playing all these notes and he's going through the part and he's, he's like, and I just watch the needle go to exactly where I want it to go every time. Like I didn't need to compress it because this guy was playing so well. Right. You know, like he was doing it himself. Right. <laughs> I didn't need to tighten him up. He was so tight already. Yeah. You know? yeah that's, yeah. I mean, that's, that's the thing. I mean, you couldn't take, some of the drums, you know, some of the, the drum parts from Earth, Wind, and Fire, if you took those and quantized them, you'd ruin it. Yeah. You know. No, it's true. And you, you, you'd you'd even, take I, all I'm the sure funk seen, out of it. Yeah, and you've seen, like... Um, even though they feel this, straight. It's not like they're swinging at all. They feel straight, no, but they're, but but they're the not cool straight. Thing, one of my favorite examples is... This is something you can do at home, kids. Uh, pull out Herbie Hancock's hand, uh, Headhunters record. Mm-hmm. Um, and the first track on that record is a is a tune called uh chameleon and chameleon has basically it has i guess you could call it three three different parts to it um the the tune um and what's interesting about it to me is that is that they come around uh so there's the you know there's the opening lick and then there's like a bridge uh, just an extended bridge and then there's like a fast a fast um bridge a second bridge or whatever a c part and then they come back around to the first part where they close you know they close the tune and you can tell that it was all done in one shot because if you were to 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 tap a click you know tap a tempo out to the to to the original groove uh and then you go back to the the same groove but at, at the end of the tune it's not the same tempo yeah um and and i think that's really cool well by today's standards that's the kind of thing that they would fix Yep. Um, and the other thing is, I, I think someone was someone wrote up this. I can't. I, I might have read it in like Mix Magazine years and years ago. And they're doing analysis of, of like, uh, to play with a click versus not to play with a click, and yep. how does that feel? And and they were taking all these classic tunes that you know, like like Zeppelin tunes and and a Metallica tune, and then they took a, a pop tune by like, um, maybe it was uh, uh, Sting or the Bee Gees or something like that. I can't remember. Um, and they were just, they're, they're showing like on a meter, like they actually had like, you know, like a graph with charts and stuff about how, how, you know, these great tunes, these great feeling tunes were not played to a click and they sound really, really great, you know? Yeah. And so you don't need a click to sound, to sound, to sound tight. No, of course you don't. In fact, in a lot, like I said, a lot of times it's ruining it. You know? Yeah, I agree. You don't, you don't need, I don't know. It just, it just, it kind of, I think that people need to stop looking at you you need to stop looking at magazines (laughs) seriously because photo magazines and musician music magazines and all this crap all it does is try to sell you gear and gear is not the answer it's uh it's sad you know like go shoot with what you have because you're you're gonna it's about getting better it's about taking better yeah but let me let me just let me just throw this one more one more uh flip around And, uh, cause I can, I can say this f- from, from personal experience. Um, I can remember when I was 15 years old and, and I, I just sort of got the hang of, you know, just kind of wrap my head around the concept of, of photography, you know, the whole, you know, what, how it works, you know? And I remember looking at my dad's old camera and getting it, um, and, you know, and like getting kind of psyched about it. And if it wasn't for for my my dad buying me my Nikon FM2 as my you know for for my birthday yep. um i don't think i would i would have gotten into it because there's just something really awesome about getting a new piece of gear even if it's not a great piece of gear just but just getting something new that you're psyched about uh to to motivate you to get you to get you back into it and honestly i do that stuff now, now that I'm older and more experienced, I know when it's time to do that. Because every once in a while, I feel like I'm like in a rut, or I'm unmotivated, or I'm just like I'm just not into it, um, discouraged even. And so sometimes, you know, I'll sort of like play this little game with myself, and I'm like, you know what, dude, you need a new this, you need a new lens, you need a new symbol, you need a right. new snare drum, whatever. And 
um, and and I'll, I'll and I'll get psyched about it. I'll do the research. I'll go play with it. I'll go test it out. I'll read all about it. I'll get it, and then it'll, and it'll do it. It'll it'll basically give me that little pick me up, that little lift, and then that'll re inspire me to go out and 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 play or or shoot again. You know, and and I think there's something to be said for that. I mean, I, I I'm sure I'm not yeah, the but only is, one that, is that, that just to. a is that just a uh, um, but that's like a fix of a drug, you know? I guess so. Like I haven't I haven't really bought anything in the past year and a half two years like i just kind of gave up on it and the stuff that i want is so out of my range that i can't afford it you know yeah sure so i haven't bought anything new and Uh i really have no i don't really need to buy anything new i i don't know it's just it i know what you're saying yeah maybe maybe this is just me i I'm, i'm just i'm just saying that i know that i've had this chat with at least one or two other people and and it's worked for them as well and so I just don't want to. I don't want to come off like like that because what we're what we're this the ultimate resolution of what we're talking about here is kind of cliche. You know, people. This is something that many people have said over and over and over again. Sure. It's not about the gear, this and that. I want to yeah, just basically however, say, hey, you know what? Sometimes sometimes the gear can can actually have an impact on you and the way you work. And I don't think that should be discounted. No, but I I think it more. I think it just. I don't know. I think some of that is. I think that's some kind of weird um, consumerism thing, and I'm not. I'm not <laughs> discount. I, I just mean that, like you know, it's like the high you get from buying the new suit. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I guess uh, so. I guess so. Um, I don't know. I, yeah. I, I I understand what you're saying, and I've I've been there and bought new stuff, and it's fun for a while. Right. But it, but but if but if at the end of that you're always looking for that next fix, then did it really solve anything? You know. Well, did, you you have to ask yourself that. You know, look at the work that you produced when you were in that phase. Did it was the yeah. work good? Did you? Did but you, would you, would you have not have produced that work if you didn't have that new symbol? Well, yeah, yeah. that's 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 my point. Because if, if I wasn't I if know. I wasn't that psyched about it, I might not have played that game. Or, I might not or, have or, I might not have stepped out. Or know? or if you really don't have the means to buy that new symbol, are you really losing out? You know, I don't know. I don't know. I I, I personally would say that you're not, and that it's in your mind. <laughs> Well, ultimately, it's all in our mind. I mean, I sure. think it, that's that's safe to say. I just think people need to put it aside, and and that's what even bothers me about all of these photo bloggers and stuff. And they have all they're shilling all this gear on their sites and selling this, and you know, yeah, sponsored by so and so and whatever that's it is. True. And it's like, that's oh, true. you make people think that it's about the gear, and it's not about the gear. Uh, um, not to not to keep flipping around again, but another thing that uh, that works in the same way. That I've heard, I've never. This hasn't happened to me personally, but I know I can think of at least two examples uh, where it has. Where where you actually use um, a, a, a traumatic event, a failure, you know, like <clears throat> like a, a negative thing where this particular thing failed on you. You know, like yeah. this lens is no longer working, or this this you know this symbol has a crack in it, or or you know this stand is now that that tripod is useless. So now it's like now you need to you're sort of forced to cope with this this shortcoming and then yep. that that becomes your motivation uh to to do it this way you know th- you know obviously sure. Sure. people in trying circumstances out in the field i, I usually shoot with three flashes one of them died so i had to do it with two and i yeah. shot it differently and it worked out exactly that kind sure. of thing so some t- sometimes um you know the negative or the you know when something yeah. fails on you that can s- s- sort of serve the same role my and crash then, symbol cracked so therefore i had to use the ride for the entire gig or what yeah or whatever and then and then what happens then it's like oh wow you know what that was kind of fun I'm going to do that on purpose next time. I'm going to leave the crash symbol home. I'm going to leave that third head home. Uh, And that's how I'm going to shoot for a while. And, you know, I I think that's the same thing I'm talking about. I find myself more and more bringing less and less and using less and less. And it's like I want to see how good I can be with almost nothing. Yeah, that's very uh, that's very zen. Well, I, I think it ultimately makes you a better musician, photographer, whatever. Because yeah. then when you need, then when you have all the gear, then yeah. you have a lot more possibilities, but you, you're not using it as a crutch. Yeah, I would say, I would say it's, it's, it's one of the major stops on the path. Sure. Um, because there's more to it than that. Um, because, you know, there, there are, there are, uh, and, and this will be my final point. Um, just when you get to, there are certain levels, you know, at the, at the very, very, very top when there's tons and tons of people, tons of money, tons of, you know, things attached to it where you do need all that crap. Um, 
and you know it just becomes this big out of control thing and you're still the amazing photographer you're still the talented whatever artist that you that you were but you have all of this stuff attached to you um most of the people i think who who are at that spot at that point you know had a moment or two I, w- I would guess anyway, you know, where, where they had nothing or they, you know, they achieved that sort of clarity of like, oh, minimalism or simplicity sure. or whatever you want to call it. Um, at least I, that's what I would, I would think. I think a lot of those people have a lot of stuff because this shoot is $100,000 and if we don't get it right that day, we have problems. So we're buying the super high-end gear. Right. Or, or Not we're because getting, we're the super high-end of- gear makes that much of a difference. We're getting two of them. Yeah. Exactly. And, and then, and that also, not to get into a whole other thing here, but th- there is something also, um, what's the word for it? Psycho something or other, um, where sometimes you need to, you need to have the shiny thing to make the person who's paying for it feel like they're getting their money's worth. It's yeah. like, so, so it's like, it's like, Oh, wait a minute. You're just using that thing. I could have gone and got that thing myself, you know? And, and Greg, sure. we know that that's total bullshit. Well, we I think that, that that's the problem with a lot of photography now because, but it's not just, lot, that's everywhere, dude. It's, it's everywhere. No, uh, sure. Certainly everything, yeah. but like photography, especially because you walk in and you have the same camera that their husband has. Yeah. Yeah. You that's, know, yeah, that's really, that's where it's it really rough. You know, I have a five D Mark II. the white house photographer, who shoots Obama, not just like reportage, but shoots his portraits. Yeah. Shot his portrait with a 5D Mark II. Yeah. And, you know, so is, well, it's good enough for the president, but, you know, it's not good enough for you because you're, what, some crappy little company that's shooting an ad? You know what I mean? Like, you're paying me to take the picture. Trust me that I know what I'm doing. Yeah, my favorite And that is, I know I can do it with this camera. Is that, you know, I love how both Nikon and Hasselblad um, can tout how their cameras were the ones that were taken into space. <laughs> you know, it's like, yeah. well, it's good enough for the astronauts. It's good enough for the moon. Yeah. Should be good. Well, the Hasselblad thing was for a reason. Well, not for a reason. Well, for a reason, but like, you know, they, a couple of the guys in Mercury brought crappy cameras up there with them just as their personal thing to take uh-huh. pictures. And they didn't and, work. <laughs> no, no, no. They worked fine. Right. But, uh, uh, well, they actually, they, what they do, and sometimes the lubricants kind of get messy in zero-G, which is the big thing. Uh-huh. Um, so the oils, like, evaporate off. You said lubricants. And, and it can, it, they can actually get on the lens and make a mess. But, like, one of the guys went and bought a Hasselblad 500 to bring up with him. I forget who it was. Scott Carpenter, maybe? Uh-huh. And he used it, and, the, and NASA saw the pictures and liked them so much that they contacted Hasselblad. Right. So the, the the cameras were on the moon were special ones they made obviously, but one of the right. things they did was they had to swap out the lubricants. Right. Sure. So and, they, and like, they also had to make all the controls like, you know, glove. They, yeah, friendly. glove friendly. <laughs> sure. But ultimately, it was a Hasselblad five hundred. Yeah. There's nothing. There was nothing like really special about them. No. 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 Um, but anyway, it's, it's interesting stuff. Agreed. But uh, I don't know if anybody has any thoughts on the subject, let us know. But it's just I just something that had been bothering me lately. Well, like the, the whole thing, like the whole, I see this, I mean, I know it's a business, but at the same time, it's like, it's, it's, it feels predatory in a, in a way that I don't like. Hmm. Cause it's I not about, it's I not can't... about selling more gear and it's not, a, it's that, or at least, I mean, it, that's what it's about for Canon and Nikon, but it's not what it should be about for photographers. I guess so. I mean, this, now we're broaching into a different discussion here. Um, maybe we could continue this next time and talk about it. But what I was going to say is, um, as far as photographers making money off of newbies, um, while I totally hear what you're saying and I, I, there's a part of me that agrees with you. I think that's kind of lame. The more practical side of me, uh, totally gets it. And, and I understand that, you know, that's, that's these guys, that's their way of rising above the the crowd because like like you say man when when anybody can just drop two k on a on a nice little camera rig what 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 aside from you know some good luck and some some outstanding work um what's what's the, what's there to separate them from everyone else well that's so, the thing I mean it, it it's it's taking better pictures well not always book. though but see here's the thing that it's I mean it's it, if your if your goal is to make money um you know you don't I mean this gets into a whole different concept where you and I both know that, you, you know, being a good photographer doesn't necessarily, or sorry, being a successful photographer doesn't necessarily mean you take terrific pictures. Right. You know, in you fact, might. In it, fact, it, it, it generally is the opposite. 
Well, I mean, you, you look at the guys who are who are shooting covers for all the big name magazines, like in, yeah, fa- in the world of there's fashion. There's literally there's literally a there's literally fifty photographers who work at that level. If that, yeah, and then and then the, those dudes um, have gotten to the point where, or those people, I should say, because there's probably some chicks in there too. But anyway, those people have gotten to the point where it's almost more about their name as a brand than sure. it is about them as an actual artist. Um, which I'm, and I'm not saying that in a negative or any way to take, you know, any, I'm not trying to take away from that. I think that's, that's legit. Um, cause that's how the, that's how the business works. But, um, but you know, those folks have, have networked their way, have schmoozed their way, have impressed, you know, have like shaken the right hands and have put, you know, paid the proper dues and been in the right places at the right time. And, uh, you know, it's hard, you, you know, you're, you're more of a director at that point where, you know, you can't always just be the you know you can't keep it simple because there's just too many people too many egos too yeah, much but money th- those are not the people we're talking about no it's true but and I, the people i'm saying who are selling crap are not those guys the no guys it's true, i'm but talking about are but the it's, stupid people with blogs like who's some wedding photographer who's just like i only use nikon it's like yeah, well, yeah. that's it's just true. that's just stupid i guess so you have a blog <laughs> i have a blog but i don't ever shill gear on it no that's true um, At least I don't think so. I I don't, read. In fact, I very rarely talk about gear. Well, well, now we yeah. are. We got it out of our system. I don't know. All right. Well, <laughs> we'll we'll think about this and add some more later next time. Indeed. All right. Talk to you later, Dan. Adios, Bye. muchacho. Bye.